Um, I'm going to resume uh, saying on Derech Hashem. We are holding by Derech Hashem, by the Rav Meshachayim Ratzato. Uh, it's Chelik Rishon, first part, Perek Dalet, and uh, it's basically Sif Cotton uh, Hay, five. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's been a while, so I think it needs somewhat of a Chazorah. You know, just to recap some of the ideas. It's been quite a while, in fact. <coughs> what the Ramchal has done in this uh, section, or this parak actually, is he's talking about what's called the setup. What exactly is the setup that a, a person finds himself in? Uh, and um, <coughs> And then he's aiming toward a certain objective to explain certain ideas. So, in the beginning of the Perik, Perik, uh, Perik Dalit, what he says is uh, really the following ideas. The Ramashim created a unique composite. He created a being. Now, normally there's two types of beings. You're either spiritual or spiritual. In that case, you are a, an angel, a malach. Or you are physical, you are an animal, which is completely physical, like I said. So therefore there are only two types of beings, spiritual, malachim, animals which are completely physical. So what the Bansham did, however, is unusual. He mixed the two fundamental elements together into one composite, and that's a human. What a human is, He's a physical being, yet he has an ishama, which is in some way connected or attached to the physical. And that type of being is highly unusual, obviously. In fact, the humans are the only composite that exists. Everything else is either physical or spiritual. It's never a combination. But a human being, an Adam, is both an ishama and a physical. We don't have an appreciation, really, of how antagonistic one is to the other. Really, when you think about it, uh, if you mix fire and water, fire is antagonistic to water, and water is antagonistic to fire. What does that mean is that they both try to quench each other. They try to put each other out. The nishama, or the soul of a person, is the same idea. It tries to quench or remove the physicality. And the physical tries to obstruct the, uh, the, uh, the neshama. So it's really two different types of beings that are fundamentally antagonistic to each other. Yet what the Barsham did is he merged them into one. And that is an incredible, we don't, we don't appreciate what that is. You know, how strange that is. You know, because obviously that's what we are. But really, if you think about it, I'm sure the Malachim, when they took a look at us, when they look at us, you know, and so on, you know, they say to themselves, what is this? They've never seen any creature that is this. Because, again, you have two antagonistic elements in one being. Now, obviously, that sets the stage for enormous conflict. So that's the uh, one idea that the Ramchal says in terms of what the person is. Now, the next thing uh, which we have to understand is the fact that the soul and the body 
It's not a temporary state. It's a permanent state. You see? It's a permanent state. That means in Ulam Habo there's a body. This is the Ramchal Shita, his opinion, which is different in many ways than the Rambam. The Rambam holds that in the Shoma, in Ulam Habo, there will only be spiritual beings, souls, Shomas, not physical. Whereas Alpi Kabbalah, the Kabbalah Sari and the Ramchal, that is not true. They disagree, obviously, with the Rambam. Because the, the, the body itself will be eternal, although it would be different, obviously. But the bonding, the merger, the unification of body and soul as one entity is an eternal matter. It never stops. Although there are, will obviously be tremendous differences between the two. So that's another thing that the Ramchal says. That the bond is not temporary, it's, it's permanent. Even though it does have a temporary stage on death, and there's, I, I, I've gone into the reason why, but there is a temporary stage for specific reasons because of the acts of Adam Marishim. But basically, it wasn't meant to be that way. It was meant to be just in Shama and, and Guf, and that's the end of it, you see. So that also is the idea that the Ramchal says. Now the Ramchal continues and says that the physical aspects of a person has tremendous shlito or dominion over the spiritual. You know, a, a, person, a, 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 a child is born, an infant is born, it's completely physical. And he grows physical. In fact, he first gets his eight to toy, which I gave a whole shion, when he's 13 for a, a, a boy and 12 for a girl. So automatically for the first 13 years, this adult male, uh, this, uh, this male, this child, right, has incredible physical urges. Because it is physical. Doesn't know of anything spiritual, really. And not only that, but the physical is not just that the physical body has tremendous urges. But also, uh, uh, but the physical urges itself have tremendous obstruction to the spiritual. It's a tremendous obstruction to the, to the spiritual. You see, because the body is Geshem, it's material, physical, which is material matter. And that itself prevents the Neshama from unfolding itself and from reuniting with the Rabbanisham. Because spiritual beings have this enormous urge to reunify with God. That's what they want to do. Yet because the spiritual being, the neshama, the soul, is encased in a physical uh, jacket, so to speak, it cannot in any way reunite with God. And that itself, in many ways, is a suffering to the soul. You see. So the consequence of being physical is both the fact that a person has tremendous physical urges, which clearly dominate, and the second thing is that the physical body itself presents an enormous obstacle for the neshama to reunify with God. And, and therefore, uh, what, 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 what the third idea, also about the concept of a physical body, is that it conceals the true nature of the Bria, of creation. Because the true nature, the overwhelming uh, material of, of the, the entire creation is spiritual. It is not physical. 
you know, this world is what? This world is uh, the, the physical universe. I mean, scientists estimate it's 13.7 or 13.8 billion light years uh, across. And a light year is 6 trillion miles. It's the amount of distance that light can travel in one year. It's a measure of distance, not time. So one light year is 6 trillion miles, 186,000 times 365, right? 365 days, so 186,000 miles per second, right? Is 6 trillion miles. That's a lot of miles, especially when you, you consider the fact that the Earth, you know, the, circum the, you know, the circumference of the Earth is only 24,000 miles. That's all it is. You know, we think the Earth is like, never ends, but never ends. The Earth is a speck even less than a speck in the universe, you know? So therefore, six trillion miles is one year it travels, right? So the totality of the length of the universe is 13.7 billion light years. So you'd have to multiply 13.7 billion times six trillion. And who knows what kind of number you get, right? And that's the amount of miles that there is in the universe, which is awesome. I, I always say, you know, when you, th when you think about that, what's incredible is that, can you imagine that God pervades the entire 13.7 billion light years, right? Because we know the entire earth, the entire earth and the whole universe is filled with his presence. That means God is larger than the universe. But that means God is also larger than the spiritual universes, all of them. So obviously we, we cannot even contemplate what type of a being can take up the whole universe and far more than that. But the physical universe is also a tremendous uh, obstruction where God is hidden. That's the third very important consequence of a physical universe where you don't see God. You know, you, so you don't see him, you don't see his presence. So that's a third, you know, a consequence of a physical universe. <clears throat> so we have these ideas. There's another consequence of a physical universe, which is a fourth idea, where it's not just one being, there are many physical beings. When, when you see many things, what do you get the idea? That there are many beings. You see, <coughs> right? And that's contrary to the concept of Enoid Mavadoi, that besides God, there is nothing else. Therefore, what you really begin to see is the concept of a zulosoi. One of the greatest concepts of Hester, of concealment, is that we think that there's such a thing as other zulosoi. That's what we think, that there is such a concept as an other, you know. But really, everything emanates from God, you see. And God is, and the Russian, the God is the only thing that exists. And so on, you know. So therefore, the a physical universe creates all these kinds of difficulties for the neshama, the soul. It's a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, maybe we get to feel sorry for the neshama, the soul. You know, it, like it's so overwhelmed with the physical universe and so on. You know, the, the physical situation. <clears throat> so therefore, we have this. On the other side, we have a neshama, right? that's in some way encased, whatever that means, in a physical body, right? So what's the Nishama going to do about this? Well, it's very, it, obviously, it's incredibly uncomfortable. So what does the Nishama try to do? It tries to break out. Now, the Nishama is much more powerful than the physical body. 
therefore, theoretically, <coughs> if you take the neshama and try to surround it with some type of an obstacle, the neshama has the ability to mazakech the guf instantly. It can dematerialize matter instantly. Much more powerful than a physical body, you see. So then why doesn't it do it? So the Ramchal said previously that it can't. Because the Marsham was geyser, decreed. He limited the ability of the neshama to do that. So the neshama is forced to be encased, encapsulated <coughs> by a physical body. It doesn't have the, although theoretically it does have the power, if it was permitted to do so. But the neshama is not permitted to do so, and therefore it does not have the power. So here you have an incredible union. You have a neshama, which by the way is a greater entity than the malachim, than angels. That's how great the neshama is. And that is encased in something which is fundamentally appropriate for animals. You know? Just think of the worst dungeon you could ever think about. You know? I mean, I, I'm reminded of, you know, in, in, the, in France, in the Bastille. For those guys who are French, you know. Philadelphia, I would say. Who? Philadelphia, Penitentiary. Philadelphia? Yeah. What does that mean? In Philadelphia, they have like the biggest, uh, one of the biggest dungeons. In Philadelphia? Yeah. Our Philadelphia? Yeah. yeah. So could you imagine in the olden days to be stuck in a dungeon? It's not even a jail. It's not even a prison. It's a dungeon. And a dungeon bring, conveys ideas which is much worse than a jail. Especially today's jail. Where they have so many rights. They've got televisions and all that. You know? So could you imagine that the neshama <coughs> is forced into a dungeon? And it has to stay there permanently. You see? Even though theoretically it could break out of the dungeon. Now, that, that's a terrible situation, you see. Now, not only is that true, you know, if you thought this was the worst-case scenario for the neshama, it gets worse. Because the neshama is placed in a physical world. Not only is it placed in a physical body, but it's also placed in a physical world. The whole world is physical, you see, with all kinds of attractions, distractions, you see, everything to lead you astray. And not only that, not only is it encased in a physical world, which is very bad because again, it hides God, it does so many things. It creates the impression that there is an other besides God. It hides God. It's also the material matter compared to the soul, the, the material of a soul is like filth, it's like jumping into a mud. You know, and so on, and the neshama has to be in that. But when the neshama is in the physical uh, environment, you know, the physical world, it's even worse for the neshama that it has to contend. You see, so that's a second major wallop to the neshama. The fact that it's in the body is one, and the fact that the body itself is inserted in the physical world, that's number two. But there's a third aspect. What's that? where the Rabbanishim forced the person to interact with the physical world. You see, it's not like, okay, okay, there's a physical world and there's me and I'm going to sit there, I'm going to sit in, in my house and learn Torah all day. It doesn't work that way. You need to make a living. There's all the physical needs that you need to do, which forces you, right, to interact with the physical world. So it's not like you could be a hermit. That's what hermits do. See, a hermit goes up in the mountain, 
has nothing to do with the the, the physical uh, play, you know, the uh, world. At least they try to, and they can meditate all day, which is what I think they try to do, meditate all day, and, and chant. They chant and they meditate. That's basically what they do all day. Okay, and they, whatever. Um, but, but really, uh, being a hermit is an abnormal situation. Most people, if not everybody, has to go to work, you know? They want to go to work, get married, have kids, have a job, right? All kinds of stuff that are physical. So not only are you physical, not only are you in a physical world, you have to engage the physical world constantly. <coughs> you know? Constantly. So like, you begin to ask yourself, what chance did the Nishama have if that's the case? See, it's a pretty bad situation when you, when you, when you put it all together, you know? And so on. No. So therefore, <clears throat> this situation which the Russian placed in the Shema, how does it get out of this? How can the Shema be released <coughs> from this dungeon? And that's what the Ramchal is now up to. We're, we're, we're now up to. In this type of situation, which is unremitting disaster for the Shema, how is it going to get out? Because it cannot purify or de dematerialize the physical. So then what does it do in some way to become, to become spiritual and so on? So that's what the Ramchal is now going to be to talk about. So this is the uh, Chazorah, so to speak, of what he's been saying until now. See, now he's gonna try to solve that problem. <coughs> so what he says in, 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 in uh, Hey, that what the Bosham has to do is provide the Neshama with some wherewithal instrument to get out of this situation. To again restore its spirituality, which is, and not only that, to restore its connection to the Bosham. He has to do that. So what's he gonna do? Uh, so what the Bosham did, he knows every aspect of physicality, which is the chesson of the Neshama. That is the deficiency of the Neshama. He examined every aspect of wherein does the Neshama lack in terms of the fact that he's in a dungeon. Number one. And then he, 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 the Roshan paralleled that to what is the perfection of the Neshama? And the perfection is, really, when you think about that, to restore its identity as a spiritual soul. And in, it, uh, what that means is that the Neshama fundamentally cannot leave the body, basically, although it does at death, but then it has to be returned. Tchiyasamesim is the restoration of the neshama back into the body, you see. So the neshama does leave the body, right? At a certain point, that's death, which should never have happened, really. It goes to Gan Eden, where it waits. That's called a waiting place, right? And then at a certain period of time, when the world will have finished what it has to go through, re-enters the physical body and that's called resurrection of the dead and once it resurrects in a physical body it will forever be in that physical body but there's a difference because it will be able to dematerialize the body and restore what it used to be so therefore that's okay as long as the neshama can remove the obstacle 
which is the physical body, and <coughs> by the way, the physical universe, everything, then that's okay for the neshama. That's fine. So therefore, at a certain point in time, like I said, the neshama has to go to a different place, which is called Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. And over there, what it will do is wait. But it's interesting, but as a being <coughs> that goes into the Garden of Eden, it will experience what's called the Me'ein O'ilam Habo. It's not the future world. But it will experience, because it, it is now completely spiritual, it will experience some incredible uh, time, which we have no comprehension of what any shaman Ganeidin will experience. And that's a microcosm of what it will experience in Ilum Habo. In fact, you can't even, it's not even on the same page what experiences in, in Ganeidin, in the Garden of Eden, and what it will experience in the future world is not even on the same page. But because the Nishama has been released from the body, although by the way it's still connected, the Nishama is still connected to the body, even though it's in Ganeidin. However, that connection is very, very tenuous. How does that work with Gilgul? Uh, if what? One body that's in the ground, and yeah. there's another body he has to go back into. Yeah, so well, well, it'll disconnect. If, if it has to mean it's goggling into another body, then it will disconnect. You see. But in any case, and after Ganeid, my resurrection of the dead, it will re-enter a body, whichever body it did the most mitzvahs, it goes on, and that bond is eternal. It will never leave. However, it won't be what it is in the dungeon, at a certain time, it will dematerialize the body, and uh, that will be an inc and and the dematerialization of the human form, okay, will allow the neshama to reconnect to the Bonishlam, to God, and that's Olam Habo, which is a complete connection. You see, so that is ultimately the path or the plan of what the Bonishlam wants. You see, <coughs> the bodies would be male, female, if someone was challenged physically they'd still have that type of scenario someone was uh, paralyzed or whatever well, what will happen what will happen is that whoever you go back into everybody will rise the way they died you're not going to look too good what can I say you know a beauty contest you're not going to win so that's out right but as time goes on then the body will regenerate you see, and a person will then regenerate to what he looked like when he was 22. You hope he looked good when he was 22. Because 22 is the best time for every human. The best time in your life was 22 years old. You don't remember when you guys were 22? What? Come on, when you're 22, you felt great, didn't you? Before you got married. Before you got married. <laughs> That's why it was the best time in your life, right? Anyway, that's a joke. Anyway, um, because at 22, the body is in its full potential in terms of everything, okay? And after 22 years old, you begin to die. You begin to deteriorate, decompose. You see? Slowly, and it's a long process, you know, until you're collecting the Social Security. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, and so therefore everybody will get up and, uh, as they, and then slowly they will regenerate uh, the, until they look very young and that's the way they look and then, then <coughs> the, the Shoma will be able to uh, re, uh, uh, purify that physical body it is, it, and that also occurs in stages 
and uh, and ultimately there will be a complete the the uh, materialization of the body, and th that's the beginning of Olam Haba. That process, by the way, takes place three th takes place over three thousand years. No. <clears throat> Um, so the body, as, what's the difference between the body and the Shema, if both are now spiritual? Body and so the what? The body has been dematerialized. The Yikuch has happened. Now what? Now what's the... I guess we won't know what the body looks like. Well, we don't know, but uh, it, it's going to be some type of a... You know, it's like you wear a, it's like you wear a glass costume <coughs> that is in no way an obstacle for a Nishama to experience God. In other words, its presence is there, but it is completely inert, totally inert. It's clear, you know, it's, um, it's like I, I say, imagine if a guy put on a, a suit that's pure glass or pure plastic that's Kisnesar. totally, who? Kisnesar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, it totally see-through, but it's more than just see-through, it's inert. Right now, the physical body has all kinds of urges and drives and <coughs> needs. There's nothing that the, the, uh, you will experience, nothing. It'll just be there as a presence. But it won't have in any way any kind of influence at all uh, to, you know, to, to disturb the Nisham in any way, you see. Obviously, it's not, it's not an impediment at all, so that's the, uh, so, uh, you know, so therefore that's, uh, that's good. So the question that we are left with is, well, what do we do? What is the Nishama going to do to get out of this mess, so to speak. So what the Bansham did is very interesting. He said, I will allow the Neshama to dematerialize or to get out of this dungeon because I'm going to create or command specific procedures and limitations. And if the Neshama does these things, then automatically, <coughs> okay, it will, it, it will have the ability and potential to demutualize the body. But the interesting thing about it, obviously these things are called the mitzvahs. You see, what, what a mitzvah is, which is it's in certain ways paradoxical, if you interact with the physical world, right, which is a, what every mitzvah forces you to interact with the physical world. But if you interact with the physical world, doing the activity that God said you should do with a proper intent, then that act itself can dematerialize the physical world. So it's really think about it that the very act of interaction with the physical world is the very instrument that allows the physical world to change in potential. Which is interesting. How's that work? What's that? How's that work? How's what work? What do you mean? How can an interaction with the physical world? Effect, effect the opposite of what the physical world usually imposes. <coughs> what is the key to a mitzvah? What it, why is a mitzvah so valuable? That is the question. Yes, but it's more than that. <coughs> Let's take a look. There are two types of mitzvahs. There's a mitzvah say, right? <coughs> Positive commandment to do. And a mitzvah slisa say, don't do. Correct? Okay. Imagine, I think I once said this, but imagine, let's say a person's sleeping. Okay? And all of a sudden, his alarm clock goes off at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's raining outside. 
and there's at least two feet of snow. Okay? <laughs> Not uncommon. Right? And all of a sudden, the alarm clock goes over at 6 o'clock in the morning, and, uh, you know, and he's thinking, well, should I go to Minyan or not? I mean, right? Should I go outside and dab him? What's taking place in that person's mind is a very important struggle. The first part of the struggle, you could say part A, part one, is should I get up and go to Minyan, or should I remain sleeping and dab at the castle, which is the wall of my bedroom, right? That's the first struggle. So it's a struggle of act. But the second part, the second understanding of that struggle, should I get up, right, and go to Minyan, because that is the will of God, or should I do my will and remain sleeping? So it's not just a battle of act, it's a battle of will. Whose will dominates? But then there's a third component. Should I get up and do the mitzvah? Let's say go daven with Minyan and so on, right? Because it is the will of God that is supreme. Why is the will of God supreme? Because <coughs> there is no other will. His will is the only will that counts. So therefore, if you get up and go, what you are testifying is You're fundamentally, you're being annulling your will can negate his will. And thereby, so the question is why? And the idea to that is that his will dominates. Why? Because he's the only being that really exists. It's a testimony that besides God there is nothing else. If, however, you continue sleeping, then what you've basically said is, I have a will, and I am entitled to that will. Why? Because besides God, there's also me. So therefore you have testified, right? That besides God, there's also me. Some people say, right, not only is there me, right? There's nobody but me. Those are the guys who are really into themselves, you know? But, uh, so what you begin to see is that any mitzvah loisase, where you, where, uh, or mitzvah loisase, um, you know, whatever, and so on, right? In the end is a struggle of what your belief of what God is. You see? Now, what happens if it's something that God says, let's say eat matzah? The night of Pesach, right? So, is there a struggle? Let's say a guy loves matzah. There are things that guys love to do. <coughs> they would do it with or without a, a, a commandment. You know? So, where do you see the struggle? Right? Because what I'm saying is that every mitzvah fundamentally is a struggle. You see? So, if, a, if there's a mitzvah I say that you do anyway, Kavana. so where's the, where's the struggle? Kavano. What's the kavano? What is the struggle? The struggle is, am I doing it because it tastes good? Or am I doing it because I should not do it? Good. Am I doing it because I want to do it? You see? Or am I doing it because, it's not because I want to do it. It's because I'm doing it because he wants me to do it. Because that's his will. Why? Because again, only his will is, dominates or exists. So if you think about it, basically every mitzvah always incorporates the belief of what is your personal belief about God. Every mitzvah incorporates some aspect of that struggle. Therefore, if in the end what you did, you did the mitzvah, right? You did the struggle and you did the mitzvah and so on. Fundamentally what you've testified is that God is one. 
That's what you've testified. And therefore, that automatically creates reality. I long ago once made up a statement. Some, it's like a, it's a principle. Behavioral <coughs> conformity toward an assumed reality creates that reality. In other words, if you behave in a way which assumes a certain type of reality, you will actually create that reality. Especially in terms of a mitzvah. If you act, if your acts consist of acts, you see, where clearly the, the consequence or the significance of the act does testify to a God and the uniqueness of God, then you will create the reality that you will see that reality. So what you do is, it's not that you create the reality, it already exists, but what you create is your ability to perceive that reality. And that's Oilam Habba. You see? So it's really Zeluma Zeh. What you create or what you testify is what you will experience. If you do a mitzvah, then you will experience what the mitzvah is testifying, that is that God is the only one that exists and that is the experience in Ilm Habo. If, however, you sin, right, then what you're really saying is my world dominates. So to the extent that you believe that you also are unique vis-a-vis -vis God, to that extent, will be re will, it will reduce the amount of experience that you have through Barsham. Because you think you're somebody, so that reduces your ability to see the real truth. <coughs> and the enjoyment of Ilam Habo, the joy, the ecstasy of Ilam Habo, is the comprehension and the experiencing of the unity or the oneness of God. That's what it is. Now, we don't know how, but the joy of Ilam Habo is the experiencing of God's uniqueness, His oneness. So therefore, if you can experience that, great. If you don't experience that, or if you have an enormous reduction in that type of experience, then obviously you've reduced your ilam habo. You see, and if there's enough sinning, then obviously you've cancelled out the ilam habo. You see. That's an important idea. <clears throat> And therefore, this principle of behavior, uh, behavior conformity. Is that, is that for everything or just for Ruchnius? I'm, I'm applying it to Ruchnius. There are some people that believe it's for everything. That if you believe something will happen, it will happen. It's, it's, you know, I don't know if it's true or not. There were, um, several years ago, there was a whole shit about that. They tried to, uh, what, what were they called? Uh, whatever it was. Uh, you know? But. What? Well, sort of, sort of, that your belief actually, your belief has an input on creation or the Bria. No, that's, no, that's different. That's, well, okay, in a certain sense, yes, okay. Visualization. What? Visualization. You could say that, yeah, well, visualization is where you convince the mind that it's true. It's your behavior you control, right? You're talking about something externally. Yes, because, because you believe that, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th there's no question that a person, through his visualization, through his mind, can actually determine many events. There are philosophies based on that. I mean, there are things based on that, uh, uh, belief systems, uh, which I've seen over the years, that believe that you can actually create things or bring things to you based if you believe that it will happen. You know? And that's what we say about um, 
about uh, Ein Hara, right? Whether what do you mean? In, whether does not believe in Ein Hara. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Zugus. Zugus. By Zugus, the Psalm of the If you don't believe in it, yeah, exactly, you know. Maybe the reason why they don't bother you is because they're insulted. How can you not believe it? So, we don't bother with this guy. <laughs> the what? There was a story about Reb Chaim recently. Like the doctor had said one way, but the wife had said to go get a bracha from Reb Chaim. Yeah. Chaim said, it'll be okay. He said, but the doctor said no. He said, because she believes in a bracha. A yeah. Yeah, that, that's, so the, first of all, Tzadik goes about Kodesh Mechayim. But, yes, well, no, the, her belief, yes, yeah, but it could be that, you, it, her belief is what created a merit, and that merit did it, you see, I know if it, you know what I'm saying? But I'm, but this, there's something else, however, that's different than the ideas I just said now. Um, there's the mind itself of a person and there's the external world you know what I'm right now saying is that if a person believes something that belief has an input into reality in terms of the spiritual reality you know like uh, you know uh, for instance you know happy is the man that believes in God and therefore God will be a trust for him you see because God will respond what you believe in. You believe I can help you? I will help you. You don't believe I can help you? I can help you. You, you, you see. In fact, what, what you, see that, you see that in the Torah, where when the Jews, uh, when the uh, 12 spies returned, and they said, Ki Famous statement that Rashi says, what the 12 Miraglim, or actually the 10, because two of them, Yoshua and uh, Kolev, they were of course remained Sadiqam. But um, so the twelve the, the, the ten spies said, Kihozakumenu, nah, we'll never capture Israel. Why? Because they are they are greater than him. So who are they referring to? So Rashi says they're referring to God. That the ability of the giants or whoever inhabited Eretz Israel, their power is greater than God. <clears throat> you see. So then, whatever, then afterward, they, they died, you know, the Miraglim died, the spies died. And all of a sudden, Amalek attacked them, and they wanted to fight Amalek. So Moshe Rabbeinu <coughs> says, don't do it, you will not succeed. And they didn't. They went out to fight Amalek, and they were killed by Amalek. Uh, Amalek. You know, why? Because once they believed that there's a power greater than God, so then God says, hey, you believe th that they're greater than me? Forget it. I'm not going to help you out. In other words, I conform to your beliefs. And therefore, they, they were killed. You see, <clears throat> the important idea about God, which is interesting, is God responds like a shadow, a sail. A shadow waits. If you move, your shadow moves. You don't move, your shadow doesn't move. Same idea. The revolution responds to your movement and your beliefs. So if you believe that God can do anything, right then he will do anything but if you believe that he's limited or restricted then not that he is but he says listen if that's what you believe i'm going to conform to your beliefs 
And that's what that means. If you trust in God, then He will be for you as a trust. Because since you believe He can do anything, He will do that for you. You see? So betochen is not only a merit, it's also a belief which automatically allows God to act according to your belief. How does, how does that coincide or, or work with Sarba Onish and Zeros? Meaning Hashem is Nixar, let's say Hashem on a person a certain thing. Yeah. Let's say a lack of Parnasa. Yeah. But the person has Bitochen that he loves Parnasa. He has real Bitochen. Well, okay, now you're going into Bitochen. You know, when, when does it work? When does it work? And so on. I'm just saying the general principle of it. It, it, you know, it may not work because in order for him to do his mission, he can't do what he wants. We don't know what God, we, we don't know what our mission is. So a guy says, well, I want to become a multi, multi-millionaire. So God says, oh, you can't because if you do, then it's another mission. So what's the whole point? You need to do your mission, not somebody else's. So God will stop you from became, becoming wealthy because that's not your job. You know, we can't, you know, so even if you believe that he could make you wealthy, he won't. Because in that case, it's detrimental to your whole purpose of life. You see? So obviously, but at least if you believe he can do it, he would do it if not for other considerations. You see? So there are obviously always other considerations. So you see? You said before there's uh, different levels of physicality. There's the body, the world we're in, and the interaction. And the interaction, world. correct. So... The, the Mishnah we read today about seems to indicate that we, it's, the, it's talking about the interaction with the world. And if a person accepts Altera, yes. we remove from him the physicality of the interaction with the world. He doesn't have to interact as much with the world. But is that, is that how it works? Maybe the moments we do, we first start with interaction with the world, and then we go at the end, we remove the, the, materi the materialism from the body. Meaning, is it in order? Because there's three levels. Yeah. I actually I spoke about that mission in, in the in Tamar yeah. Park, yeah. Because okay. I'm giving a shim Pirkei Ovis, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, no, but that... It's a little far, yeah. Is what? It's a little far from <laughs> Yes, listen, maybe move back. Anyway. <laughs> no, that's different. Because <clears throat> I explained that in a different <clears throat> way. That... <clears throat> Even in interacting with the physical world, you could limit the amount of interaction. If somebody says, I'm going to commit an immerse in Torah, right, then automatically you will limit the amount of interactions in the world. You still have to eat, got to drink, you sleep. It doesn't stop those things. But the necessity of parnosa, it will stop. This is going to, you know, Nechunyi Ben Akono. You know, he says that, right? Necessity. So therefore, you can influence the amount of interaction. That is true. But then if you become a hermit, you also inter you know, reduce the amount of interaction. You see. But what it means is that if a person dedicates himself completely to Torah, then that will create a situation where the Banshim will say, okay, you don't have to go to work. I'll send you the Panosa, you know, and, and you don't have to worry about the government for tax and all that kind of stuff. You know. So in, in that sense, you can do that. But it, it, you're still interacting with the world. It doesn't stop you because you still have to eat and drink and sleep and all that kind of stuff, you know. So it's not a contradiction at all, you know. But in any case, the main idea is that, so what the mitzvah does is by expressing a belief, really that's what it does, it is an action that you do 
that expresses a belief about who you think God is, and automatically God will behave to you based on that belief. So that is what's called the operating mechanism or the operating principle of a mitzvah, you see. And what God has done is He has used, He has, uh, you remember I once went through the whole Shas? <coughs> I mean, there's only a couple of mitzvahs, there's only a couple of uh, ideas that you can organize all 613 mitzvahs. If you remember I did that, you know. You know there are many mitzvahs that are understood in terms of ownership. The whole Seder Nashim is about ownership. You see? Is a, in other words, uh, the whole concept of how to create, to dissolve ownership, and, and so on. And therefore marriage is included because the Torah looks at marriage as fundamentally ownership. Okay, at least control to a certain extent that rights that you have in a marriage. Uh, Nazikin is the negation or the issues or problems of ownership. If you remember what I said. Zroim, the whole say Zroim, is about object usage permissibility. Which objects can I use, which I can't, and even those I can, what do I have to do to get to use them? So there's brachas, there's uh, matonis, and so on. And then there's a regulation of activity through time, that's mayad, you see. And then there's kachim and taras, you know, I relate to two different entities. One is God, and the other is tumah, spiritual and called tumah. Right? All the laws of how I relate to these be to God through the base amigdash, which is where he resides. And tumah, spiritual entity called tumah, defilement or contamination, how do I relate to that? That's really the whole Torah. And then there's Pirkei Avas, which tells you the correct behavior that you have to do. That's called Tikkun Hamidus, the, uh, the uh, improvement of one's uh, character traits and Avedo, the service he has to do to God. So the totality of 630 mitras is only in what? Six areas or seven areas. That's all it is. It's rather amazing when you, when you put it all together. In, uh, in, uh, in seven, seven different major areas and so on, you know. But these are the major, the mitzvahs address these major areas and in some way when a person interacts with the world in those areas, uh, that interaction will create the ability of the neshama to potentially alter uh, its, its, uh, its uh, history and potentially give it the ability to dematerialize the physical body. So therefore, the instrument parallels the perfection of man. That's what the Ramchal is saying. That the instrument is an exact instrument that God made, the 613 commandments. They parallel the exact task of man and the, the, and the ultimate objective of man, that these things can accomplish this task. You see, that's the concept of mitzvahs, which become the instrument that God used in order to allow the neshama to get out of the struggle or the fact that it's in a dungeon called the physical body and in a dungeon called the physical world. Therefore, what's interesting is by the very interaction with the physical world, that's what elevates the neshama, the soul. It's interesting, it's a paradox many ways but the reason why it elevates the soul is because of the belief expressed through the physical interaction with the world see that's the key it's the intent it's not just an act but the intent that a person has in his mind which is an expression of belief while he's doing a physical act called a mitzvah 
that's the trigger that allows ultimately the neshama to, uh, to break out of the dungeon, you see. That's a unique system, you know, where the Bansham uh, curtailed the ability of the neshama to get away from this. So what the Bansham did is he, which is really, like I say, it's paradoxical. You mean if I interact more with the world, I can actually decompose the world? It says yes. Because the, the acts that you have to do is against your will. And therefore it's an expression of his will and his oneness. So it is that one idea that enables the physical act to do its job of allowing, of bringing God more back into your life. And that allows therefore <coughs> the neshama <coughs> potentially to in the future experience God. The oneness that you believe in. That's really the way the whole thing works, you see. You know, in any case, that's what the uh, Ramchal says, and, and so on, you know. So how does that, sh- how does that um, work with the fact that Prashas have a simcha? The, the, the who? Simcha in mitzvahs is important. And the person who has more of a ratzon to do, the ratzon Hashem, is also looked at as a positive thing. If the, fact, if the point is the struggle, Yeah. On the other hand, you have the simple shal mitzvah and the ratzon that person has to do mitzvahs yeah. is also a positive thing, so that it's <coughs> a struggle. <coughs> you know, there's, an, there's a, a posik in the Torah by the Toichachal with, you know, the, uh, the uh, punishments or the, uh, of Klai Yisrael, where it says that, the Bonshim, where it says that, that um, I will enable the Goyim, right, to destroy you. This is part of the curses. Uh, you know the uh, of the Torah, the, the admonitions of the Torah, where it says that uh, that the Moshe will allow the goyim to really destroy you, and they will be tremendously misameach with the destruction of the Jews. You see, tachas. Oh yeah, uh, why? Tachas because you did not serve God with joy, therefore that will allow the goyim to destroy you with joy. So the question is, huh? What does that mean? It should have said, because you didn't serve me, right? You never served me, you didn't do the mitzvahs and so on and so forth. Therefore, they can uh, punish you, they can destroy you. But it doesn't say that. It says, because you did not serve me with joy. What do you mean? I did serve you, but what with joy? So that's what enables the goyim to destroy us? What's the logic of that? You hear the question? The answer which I say about this is what, in a certain sense, you're referring to that. <clears throat> which comes first, belief or emotion? In other words, I believe something and then I feel, I, I react with some type of emotional response. Or do I have the emotional response and then I believe? Which is it? Emotion. Emotion comes first? Who says emotion comes first? Wait, wait, wait. Who says emotion comes first? You do? What's the question again? Again, which comes first? I have a certain emotion and then that forms a certain belief or I have a certain belief and that creates an emotion. Belief comes first. You come to believe. Anybody say I'll say belief? Both. Who? Both. No, you can't say both. No, that's, it's a chicken or egg business, you know. It's, <laughs> which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, 
Hey, you got to commit. So you say belief. Anybody else say belief? <laughs> no, I, I love you. I love you guys' decisiveness here. You know, <laughs> cowards. Cowards. The answer is belief comes first. You don't realize whatever you feel is always because you have a certain belief. Whether that belief is conscious or unconscious doesn't make a difference. You see, what determines our behavior? You know what determines our behavior? Belief. That's what determines behavior. You see, it's what you believe. Now, you may not be aware of what you believe. You see, because as a child, you may have developed a certain belief, you know, that is so part of you, you don't even know you believe it. You see? You know, you take a guy who had a terrible time growing up. His parents really abused him, right? So he has a belief that I'm a nobody. You see? Because why? if I was somebody, why would they abuse me this way? I'm oversimplifying something, right? So he didn't, but, but he acts, he feels like a shmata. He feels like a nobody. So which came first? Because, but he doesn't even know that he is a shmata. Because he has long ago lost contact with that belief. You see? Interesting. What determines your behavior is your belief. If you could ever access your beliefs, consciously and unconsciously, what you really believe, you could alter your behavior. That is the secret of all therapy, to alter the belief. Because emotions follow the belief. Emotion is nothing more than a reaction to what? To a belief. And now we understand that chazal, that posik, right? So the Bonshim says, you didn't have simcha, joy, when you did my mitzvah, right? So there, what was the belief behind that joy? The, the, the belief behind an absence of joy is that, big deal, what's this going to get me? So why should I be joyous? You know, if you just won the lottery, yes? And then you go pick up your check, what do you think when you go and pick up the check you're going to feel like? Unbelievable. I realize it's a very difficult thing to, 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 you know, to, to connect with because you win the lottery, right? The joy of winning the lottery, right? First you know you won the lottery, and then you have the joy, you see? But you ever hear a guy coming to win or pick up a check, the lottery check, and he's incredibly depressed? You see? That's what the Bansham says. <clears throat> Your emotions tell me what you really believed. You didn't believe, you know, the fact that there was an absence of joy because you believed that it was a burden. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, wow, this is going to get me Oilem Haba. This is the real McCoy or the real stuff, you know. This really works. That's incredible. If you really believe that the mitzvah will get you Oilem Haba, that the mitzvah will get you close to God, that the mitzvah is the best way to conduct your life, you would be overwhelmed with joy ecstasy but if you don't believe that oh, I gotta go to Minion it's ridiculous you know I have to eat kosher food I'm starving you know what, what, a, what a burden to get rid of you know so that's what the Rosham said Mida connect Mida because you do not really believe that the mitzvah does the job right that's measure for measure, right? So they will have joy 
where you should have had joy. That's a measure for measure. You see? That's why the Mosheim says, because you did not serve me with Simcha, that indicated to you that you believe the mitzvah is a burden that you got to get rid of so you can get on with life and enjoy life. Wait, and enjoy life, you see? Uh, that's the way you feel about my mitzvahs, that you can get on with life and enjoy life. And as soon as you pata, you remove the mitzvah, right? That, so therefore, that indicates that you don't truly believe that the mitzvah I gave you is incredible. You don't believe that it's unbelievable beneficial to your life, you see? And subsequently, you've detracted me. Because if you believed I'm a kol yochel, I'm omnipotent, and whatever I do is to do good to you, then guess what? So I won't do good to you, right? I'll do bad to you, because that's what you believe. When you believe that a mitzvah is a burden, what you're really saying is that, why did you do this to me, God? <laughs> What'd you do this to me for? Did I deserve, did I deserve your mitzvahs? You see? So you're looking at it, it's bad, right? It's a burden. It's something to be, you know, chucked. You know? And not only that, you got tarumas to God. What I got to go through this nonsense for? You see? So Bonisham says, wait, you believe that I'm not a native? That I actually do good? Right? That I have the capacity to do that? <coughs> Fine, okay, so I won't do good to you. Right? Now what's not doing good? You're going to fail, you're going to have goyim, you know, this... That invites, you, you see the logic, that's the connection. So it's the emotion that always follows the belief, not vice versa. You see how it works. Okay, so, the struggle, so it's not a contradiction to the struggle? No, not at all. Uh, you could struggle with joy. You know, there's a guy who's got to take an exam. And if he takes the exam, he can open up an incredible, he's, a, he's an MD, right? He's got to take the MD boards, whatever they call that, right? And then he's going to open up an office and, you know, and make a fortune, maybe. <laughs> you know, it all depends, uh, you know, is that Obamacare or not Obamacare? <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, you know, so he's, of course he's struggling, he's got he's to take that exam, you know what I'm saying? It's a struggle, but there's a joy because this is it, this is the end. When I pass this, I become an MD, a doctor, and I can make a, you know, a, lot, a lot of money, be respected, and all that kind of stuff, you see? So struggle doesn't uh, remove the concept of joy. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not antagonistic to joy at all. It depends what the struggle leads to. You see? So where does Atzlus fall in? I mean, if, if, the whole, if my whole struggle is, do I believe in Hashem or not, basically? Basically, that's so what it is. where does Atzlus fall in? Atzlus? Atzlus. Laziness? Laziness, yeah. Where does it fall in? Yeah, in the struggle. Meaning, some, some people have an extra <coughs> dose of, lazy, of laziness, right? So because laziness, I want to say something, you know, you know if somebody said, you know, I'm going to give you a check for a million dollars, but you got to come over now to pick it up. You think anybody would be lazy? No. No. I, you know, I, I can't, you're right, it's insane. You know what I'm saying? If you really believe that the mitzvah was incredible, that it was a way that you will perpetuate your existence in the greatest manner possible, you'd run to do the mitzvah, wouldn't you? If you believe doing the mitzvah is like receiving, you know, a hundred million dollar check, would you be lazy? Who would be lazy? Of course not. So therefore, if a person is lazy because he says, eh, I don't really know if it's going to do any good for me, maybe I'll do it. It's what's called a gamble. You know, it's probably not going to work, but it, on the chance that it may work, I'll do it. But I'll take my time. Yeah, you know, give me a day or two to get my act together, you know. <laughs> That's what, if you really believe, ask yourself, 
that something was going to be incredibly good, you would never be lazy. You'd jump up, run to get that check. You see? But that, that's the problem, you know? Because do we really believe what a mitzvah can do? So they say atzlus is, 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 is a behavioral indication. I don't know if we call it emotion, but it's a behavioral indication that you don't really believe in the authenticity and the truth of what a mitzvah can do. It's really what it is. Let's face it. You know, we, we know that. If we really believed what it could do, we'd run to do the mitzvahs. You know what I'm saying? You know? And, that, and ultimately, that's what it is. Um, and, and that's why a lot of people have uh, atzlus. A lot of people are walking around with a tremendous chalisha weakening of their faith. You know, for a lot of different reasons. And it manifests itself as, okay, I'll take my time to do the mitzvah. It says reason. You have to be a Zoras. You have to be run and enthusiastic, you know. They say on the Ari, one of the reasons why the Ari, the Ari, right? The Ari, the incredible Kabbalist, the Ari, right? One of the reasons why he merited to receive Eliyahu, because he learned with Eliyahu, that's how he, he knew all the Kabbalah, why he merited such incredible greatness. I mean, it was, the man was incredible. His knowledge was awesome in terms of, you know, Kabbalah and so on, all the mystical aspects, and why he had Ruch HaKodesh. I mean, it's phenomenal what he could do, you know? is because it, they, they bring down, I think it's a Shifchei Ari, about the uh, praises of the Ari, because when he did a mitzvah, he had ecstasy on his face. That's something. You know? When was the last time that anybody had ecstasy on their face when they did a mitzvah? You know? You gotta really search back a long way, if ever. And the reason for that, let's not kid ourselves, is because of belief. You know? We don't have that belief anymore. We're so, we're so pressured, we are so jaded, as they say, you know, by so many different things and so on, that when a person does a mitzvah, you don't see that incredible joy. But that joy, they say, of the Ari is what got him to be so incredibly. And that's what it means, because you did not worship God, serve God with simcha, you know, that's, that's part of the reason, you know. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, we live in a generation today where a via person should believe in God, you know, but to believe what a mitzvah does, you know, uh, and you see many indications, pick others, you know, you never know what a small mitzvah does. You really don't know, but each mitzvah, in many ways, if we would realize, if we would realize, if God would show us <coughs> For a second, the reward of one mitzvah, what it will do for you in the future world, you would never be the same. You would run to do a mitzvah, mamish run, if we saw that. But it's all hidden, you see. And therefore, we don't realize what the power of a mitzvah is. Whether it be a small mitzvah, whatever that means, or a great mitzvah, and so on and so forth, we do not realize the power of a mitzvah. But what the Ramchal is saying is that the mitzvah is the only device, instrument, right, that will allow the neshama, right, to claim victory over the goof and escape the bonds of the dungeon. It's the only, the, the only you know. Now, again, we don't realize what that is because we don't, we don't know what that means, that the neshama is not in the dungeon, you know. But uh, that's what the mitzvah is. That's the power of the mitzvah. And now ultimately that's what it does, you see.
Okay, I just wanted to finish with a very important concept. <clears throat> Why is it people don't have joy in mitzvahs? What is the problem? And but the, the, the flip side of that is how would a person solve that problem? How do you get joy in doing a mitzvah? You see? And the answer to that is a very important concept. Judaism is about two things only. What is reality? And how do you behave in that reality? That's the whole Judaism. Again, what is reality? What's real? What's fake? And the second thing, based on that reality, right? What do you do? How do you behave to conform to that reality? That's it. That's what Judaism is all about. Now, the mitzvah is what? Is the behavior aspect. Yes? How to conform to what you believe. Correct? <coughs> But the problem is, most people just study behavior, called mitzvahs, right? You know, and, and that's what Shulchan Aruch is. How to behave in the correct manner, right? That's the halachas, the laws in Shulchan Aruch, right? And the laws, of course, are about all the mitzvahs. That's what they study. That's a tremendous mistake to study only that. Because if I do the Shulchan Aruch, how does it affect reality, you see? They don't study that. The study of what a mitzvah does, the study of reality that Judaism says what it is, is the study of Hashkofa and Kabbalah. That's reality. So the question is, if you just study how, how to behave, what's the joy? You know, do, do I admit to it? You know, some mitzvahs, like, there's so many different conditions. You ever, you ever learned the Lama Tesmalachas and Shabbos? It's astounding how many halachas there are just to avoid doing 39 malachas, right? So this is the concept of behavior, right? Which is very important, no question about that. But if all you study is behavior, the mitzvahs, and all the different ins and outs of the halachas and so on, right? Where's the joy? The joy can only come if you know the reality of what a mitzvah does what a mitzvah does. That's the only time you can have joy, you see? But nobody studies that, you know? It's, it, which is t it's a terrible thing, and therefore nobody understands what a mitzvah does, why there's a mitzvah, and so on, you know? So everybody's basically focused on what? On what do I do? But the real question is, what do I believe in? And therefore I do it. And that can only come from the study of hashkafa and Kabbalah, if you really want to go in that way, much deeper and so on, you know. Once you understand reality, then you understand why a mitzvah works, how it works, what does it affect, you see? Then you could possibly have joy. But if you never study that, all it is is a ritual. You ever, learn, you ever notice a, a holiday, a Yom Tov? What's a Yom Tov really all about? You eat, you sleep, you do mitzvahs, you daven, and you go home and sleep more and eat and so on. Yeah. Where's the joy? Whatever, yeah, when you finished, Pesach just passed, <coughs> yes? Where were you? What did you do on Pesach? Where's your growth? You didn't experience growth, come on. You know, you had a lot of matzah, and God knows how many potatoes you had, right? Because everything is potatoes these days, right? And so on, right? Fine, so we did the mitzvahs. We did the mar matzah, the moro, the seder, we did all that, right? Fine, you know, but where's the joy? If you don't understand what Pesach is about, you see, 
what the real meaning of Pesach is, the whole concept of the liberation of Zoyamah, which is a whole Shia and Pesach and so on and so forth, you know, the whole concept of what Matzah really represents, it's the goof without Zoyamah, whatever, you know, there's so many aspects of Pesach, then how could you possibly have joy if you, you have to, well, you, you have to eat a Kazais Matzah, you know, you know, Shia, you know, it's got to be within nine minutes, right? Where's the joy in that? You have no idea what in the world you're doing. You, all you are is going through the motions with behaviors which are completely mysterious to you. That's basically it, let's be honest, right? You're going through a holiday with behaviors, mitzvahs, that are completely mysterious to you. You don't know why they are, and, and so on. Matzah, Mora, Korban, Pesach, you know what I'm saying? Chometz, what, what's the story with this, you know? Yeah, of course, so we observe them, great, great. But there's no joy in it. It's a matter of uh, rituals. You'll never get anywhere doing a ritual. Let me tell you now, you know? The only way you could truly understand what a mitzvah is, if you study Hashkafa, and to a certain extent, Kabbalah, how it influences, how does it alter reality? Then you'll be convinced of its power. But if you don't understand how a mitzvah alters reality, <coughs> you see, then how could you have joy in it? To you, it's nothing more than what? Something to get through. Basically what it becomes. You really honest? That's what happens. And this is true of every single holiday, including Shabbos. And it's true of every single mitzvah. Why did the Ari have such simcha? Obviously, because he, he understood clearly what the reality system is of Jews, of Judaism. Because he was a master of Hashkof and Kabbalah. So how could he not be joyous? You see? Because he knew when he did a mitzvah, he knew exactly how it interacts with all the spiritual world. What it means and what it's going to do for him as a person, you see? He knew what his mission was, and so on. He knew his talents and abilities. You know, when he sat down to learn or to give a shia, it was an unbelievable passion, because he believed. Why did he believe? Because he knew reality. That's the mistake everybody makes. They learn about the behavior, which is the mitzvah, but they have no idea of the reality of Judaism. What is it all about? And really, that's what Derech Hashem, that's what the Ramchal came along to fix. His whole Sfarim on Hashkofa, Derech Hashem, Das Tunis, and so on, you know, and all the Sfarim on Kabbalah is to tell you the great part of, of, of Judaism, which is, uh, which is ignored. What is the reality that Judaism says? What is it? You see? That's why we learn the Ramchal. What do you mean, what do you, mean? you know, it's a mitzvah. What is he talking about? You know what I'm saying? Because nobody studies reality. It's just about behaviors. So all day they're into Gemara, which is great. But Gemara is only about what? The, the, the ins and outs of a halacha. That's all it is. It solves the problems of what? Of how to do the halacha correctly. You see? So the Gemara also has a gadita, which is really about reality. But that reality is cryptic. The Gemara doesn't express openly. So you need uh, people like the Ramchal telling you or the, 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 to explain what's going on. You need the, the Hashkof and the Kabbalah so in all you don't know reality so how, where are you going to get your joy from and the tragedy is that this is what goes on day in and day out nobody learns Hashkofa forget about Kabbalah but if they did the greatest way really to increase emuna, belief in God 
is to understand what Judaism says about reality. <coughs> and that's the study of Hashkofa, and that, to a different extent, Kabbalah. How does this, how does this help Emunah? Understanding what the system is according to Judaism, how is that increasing Emunah? Well, let's put it this way. Just to do what Judaism says is not going to increase Emunah at all. You Fine, you eat matzah, now you feel better. And then now what happens? But what happens if you know that matzah is a food? Matzah is flour and water, right? That's all it is. It lacks leaven, chametz, right? Because matzah is the food appropriate to a body that is just an isham and a goof without the Yetzirah. That's why we eat matzah on Pesach, you know? It, once you have a different meaning of the reality, and what it does is perpetuates or furthers the death of the sultan, because you're now eating a food that lacks a symbolic oichel uh, of that, you see? It's knowledge, it's not a Muna. No, no, but you know, no, no. belief comes from knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the greater is your belief. That's where it comes from, you see? You have to know. Look, what does it say? Da is right? Know the God, right? Know about who God is, right? And then vi of dehu, then you can serve Him. You see what I'm saying? What does it say? Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Baruch Shem Kovid Malchus Meyed, that He's a Melech. Then vi ohaftes Hashem Elokecho. You see, if you study Hashkafa and you study to a different extent, whatever, Kabbalah, but certainly Ashkofa, it will incredibly increase your Amunah. Once you have that, then you know the mitzvahs and you can experience the joy. That's why, you know, guys, you, you know, guys, if they say they're, they're, they're happy and so on, it's a forced happiness. You see, the only real happiness can come is if you know, you learn, you understand that consistency of reality is going to enormously increase your belief. You see? That's what it is. There are many psukim that show you that you have to know and then you could uh, believe and then you could experience your hafta. It's classic, might as well. You have to know God is one, then you can love the Lord your God. How come the Ramchal doesn't say anything about it in the Messiah That what? In the Bresa of He does. The first parak. Is it yours? No. Excuse me. What does mean? What is your obligation before you even start the whole concept of what's called Tikkun Hamidus or the stages of the Avoida? Hey, what, what am I doing here? What's the purpose? That's why is the first parrot. Right? Take a look. Right? Why? Because that's reality. Now that you know reality, now you can begin to work on yourself. You're not going to work on yourself. Nobody's going to put himself through that grind, so to speak. Zahirus and Zerizus and Nikias and Precious and all that and Tahara. Come on, that's an enormous labor. If you don't have any idea what in the world is going on, <coughs> that's why the Ramchal is consistent. First parak is, what is a man's obligation in this world? Once you go through that and you're convinced, then you can start with Zerizus and Zahirus. There you are. You see? You have to learn Hashkofa. You see? And if you can, if you want to even go deeper, then you learn also Kabbalah because Kabbalah is the interactive system between God and the universe and so on, you know? But certainly Hashkofa, if you really studied Hashkofa and know it well, that will increase your emunah. 
And when that increases your muna, that will increase your desire to do mitzvahs. And once you have a desire to do mitzvahs, and you do it, you will experience joy. It's that simple. In the last year, you said that studying... Got that? As far as I'm concerned, that's the key. Why people really either, even if they observe Judaism, it's never with any simcha. Because like I told you, just ask yourself, Pesach just passed. What did I gain from this Pesach other than a lot of weight because of the matzahs and everything else and the meat and the potatoes and all that kind of stuff, the carbs? You know, what did I walk away with? Are you spiritually greater because of Pesach? Are you? Ask yourself. And if you're not, you need to ask yourself, why am I not? Why didn't Pesach do something for me? Ruchnius, Sukkot, any of these things. And the answer is because I don't know anything about it, really. All I know is a historical event that the Jews got out of Egypt. That's all I know. So I want to tell you something. They were very happy. Why should I be happy? That event happened 3,300 years ago. What do you want from me? You know, they were like, I can't say why they're happy because they're getting out of prison. They're getting out of slavery. What do you want from me? You see, the key is to understand what does a holiday have to do with Judaism. You need to know the reality. And this is what goes on all the time. That's why guys go through a Yom Tov, they're, they're satisfied, but they're not joyous. Don't confuse satisfaction with joy. They're satisfied because they've gone to a holiday and they've done mitzvahs. Fine. But do not confuse that. Do not confuse that with spiritual growth and with joy. Sorry to be the bearer of ill tidings, but that's the truth. If you really want to know what the problem is, it's because yeshivas don't teach hashkofa. Period. And that's why guys leave. And that's why guys leave. They get tired of it. They burn out. It becomes a burden. And they go on to do other things. I'm not even talking about the fact that guys come away from yeshivas as amaratsim. They don't remember anything. I'm not even going to, that's my pet peeve. peeve you know, <laughs> and so on, you know. I'm just saying, the whole of, when was the last time you encountered an oivade? A person working on himself. These are rare. You don't see these anymore. When's the last time you met a guy who's an oyved, a guy who's working on himself to grow spiritually? These are dinosaurs. They don't exist anymore, really. Yeah, there's a couple of guys still trying to do that, but they don't really exist. Why? You can't be an oyved if you don't know anything. You can't be a real oyved and do that type of struggle and labor if you don't even know what the reality of Judaism is. It's obvious. How can you do that? And not only that, like I say, guys burn out and they leave. Because what is it? It, it? Many people feel, it, like it, Judaism, it's a religion, but you know, okay, I'm satisfied, I did the mitzvahs, but it's dead. Let's not kill out, it's a dead religion. Why? Because, because after a while they burn out. It means nothing after a while, you know? Okay, Shavuos is coming, right? So what are we looking forward to? Cheesecake. Right? Milchiks. Cheesecake. Now, I don't want to knock cheesecake. Don't get me wrong. Right? It's one of the joys of life. Especially if you have cherries on top of the cheese. You know? Uh, but I would think that Schwartz is more than just cheesecake. You see? Uh, there's no joy. Why? Because people do not learn Hashkofa. They're into the mitzvahs, which is great. They're into the behavior. Fine. But you need to accompany that with, uh, with uh, Hashkofa. Without that... You'll just, you'll never grow. 
you know? Yeah, you'll, be, you'll become great at rituals. Yeah, you'll know exactly how to, how to split hairs doing the mitzvah. That's true. Yeah, you know, and you'll be able to get up there and give a shear about how to do this mitzvah, that mitzvah, and how to burn the chometz, and how to makan tajbisu. Yeah, that'll be great, you know? But the real feeling of ecstasy, joy, what the Bonsham says, Forget it. You'll be satisfied. But don't confuse the emotion of satisfaction with ecstasy and joy. That's all I have to say. It is sufficient to the wise, which is an illusion. But I hold that's the, the, one of the biggest criticisms you can level at Torah education in the world, not just in America, even in Israel. They do not learn Hashkofa. The average guy is an Amoritz, basically, in his religion. Yeah, he may know a lot halachas, but in terms of his Hashkofa, he's an Amoritz, basically. It's astounding. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's tradition and nostalgia. It's nice to do, but you can also be nice without it. Yeah. You're missing the whole... They're missing the whole ball game, as they say. Yeah. yeah. We find Oyved Hashem, like the, Abdu, the Abdu's concept you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. By Hasidim, we learn Kabbalah. Yes. By Sephardim, we learn Kabbalah. Yes. And nowhere else. Why? Because they learn Kabbalah. You're just, you're just, you're just corroborating what I say, yeah. By Hasidim, or uh, Hasidim that learn Kabbalah, you know, and so on, you know, uh, by uh, Svadim, you know, you find tremendous avoid by these people. Why? Because they know what's going on. They know reality. They know Kabbalah, Hashkof, or whatever, you know. But by Litvaks, forget about it. You know, the, the greatest thing a Litvak can do is say a pilpul. You see, but a pilpul is what? A pilpul is, is how to know what to do. You see, but there's no, you know, so the joy is what's called creative to figure out how you answer the Rambam with a Rajbo or something like that, or contradiction of Rambams. So there's a joy in what's called creativity. Ah, I figured it out. That there's no steer in the Rambams. You see, there's a joy in that, but that's an intellectual joy. You see, but there's no joy in the actual performance <coughs> of the mitzvahs, and there's certainly no real attempt to be an oivade to really work on yourself to become spiritual. That's why the Mesilas Sham is in many ways, it's, uh, it's what's called an anachronistic. It's not for this day. Who, who, who does this? When was the last time you met a guy who was into precious? He was up to precious. Well, you know, forget about it. You forget it. Even a Zorist, you can't even meet, let alone some, when was the last time you met a Kodosh? Right. So what's the, what's the whole Muslim movement, Novadok, all that? Is that all, it's all about Avodah. That's true, yeah. But that's a different approach. Well, that avoid, actually, you cannot have Musa without Hashkofa. Musa, the classic, is with Hashkofa. Take a look at the Chayvah Salvavos, right? It's not just Musa or the Orchus Sadikim. You know, any of the standard Musas from, they always include Hashkofa. They tell you what the Gemara says, right? And why it's great. They bring you stories for inspiration. You know, they, they do try to inspire you by giving some type of ideas. It's not the ideas of Ramchal, that's true. But at least it's not just straight halacha. You see? So therefore, just ask yourself, like I say, the, uh, a, a, a true Ayurveda is a dinosaur. They don't exist. They, they, whatever. You can hardly find them. You see? And the reason for that is because there's no serious attempt to educate a Jew about what his religion is all about. 
what the reality is that Judaism professes to believe in. It's all about what do I do? What's the halacha? Don't get me wrong, it's, it's critical. But that's all they learn. They don't learn anything about the reality itself. And the knowledge of the reality is what makes you spiritual, really. Besides the, doing the mitzvahs, you see? You know, there's a, there's a lot, to, there's a Ramchavar, a whole sefer called Derech Chochmah on this, where he holds that the, the most important limud, he calls it Yediyah Selokus, to know who God is. That's Hashkof and Kabbalah. You know, that's the greatest of all, uh, Avodah and so on. And he's right, because without that, you're not an Oyved. You don't, you, you're not working on yourself. You're not, it's not an upward climb in spirituality. It's not, it doesn't exist. So the question, who in the world is reading Yimsilat Hashem? You know, it's like, you know, I always got to use the kick out of it. You know, the Yeshua has a Seder Muslim, you know? So guys read Yimsilat Hashem and so on and so forth, you know? But it's an intellectual idea. Not because he believes in reality and so on, you know? It, 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 to my mind, in many ways, it's a disaster. Why? Because in today's day, there are so many foreign ideologies. So many. Think about how many religions there are out there, all vying for Judaism as the, the truth. You know what I'm saying? And not only that, there are so many distractions out there. There are so many horrors out there. It's astounding. You know what I'm saying? What's going on here? So the only way to counteract these incredible amount of attractions, cell phones, smartphones, you know, 90% of a guy's time is looking at a smartphone. I once read that they calculate that a guy spends in any given week, I think it was, 150 hours on a smartphone. There are people who go to sleep with their smartphone because God forbid they shouldn't miss an email or something like that, or a text message, you know? This, the whole generation is so filled with Yates of Horrors, you know? So we're talking about reading them, Silas Yashorim, and doing it? Forget it. The only way to ever think about growing spiritually is you must learn Hashkafa. You need to convince yourself that this is reality. And then you will do the mitzvahs with joy. Why not? Like picking up a million dollar check. Why would anybody be lazy? See? And, the, and like what, what you want to bring down. The proof of that is the Ramchal didn't write a Musa Sefer first. He wrote a chapter, the first chapter, what is the obligation a person has in this world? That is Hashkafa, isn't it? Once you have that, then you can do the rest. But if you don't, if you don't even know what your obligation is, which is really what is the reality all about, forget it. It's a lost cause. Why would anybody do this? You see? So that's what I propose, that the yeshivas have to give a real shear in Hashkafa, the whole system. And like I say, one of the best things to do is the Derech Hashem from the Ramchal. One of the greatest form ever written in Ashkofa, in terms of what it says and the way it presents the Ashkofa. In other words, this is not a luxury. It's a necessity. It's really what it is. And people have missed the boat. They really have missed the boat. Okay, we will continue. Thank you.